Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. Popper to the People is brought to you by ABU Games. You can visit them online at abugames.com or through their bots, the card store and the card store too. You can find us each week on mtgostrat.com and mtgcast.com. This is Cooperative People, episode 121. My name is Chris, and with me is Nate. Hello. And Peter. Hello. And Chris Weaver was supposed to join us this week, um, but he's had a family issue come up, and so we're going to get him on at a different time. These things happen. And blank. (laughs) Utter, complete blank. It's been a busy probation period at work um so i was all pumped because fringe season five showed up on netflix and then disappeared and then it went away <laughs> yeah it probably they probably had some loading problems it'll come back up well basically what ended up happening was um chris is going to be on next week for sure i'm just writing them back really quick um basically what ended up happening is netflix put it up too soon they weren't supposed to put it up until September, so they they uh, cut it off uh, cut it off again. Uh-huh. So, which you know makes sense. It, it's unfortunate, especially for me who was six episodes into the new season and now has to wait another month to finish it off. <laughs> but you no, saw I, it was I, on, and you just literally stopped everything you were doing. Uh, I saw it was on, and I actually watched it for about three days. I got I did you know a couple of episodes a day you know over the mm. course of three days, and then it. I went to go turn on an episode because I had an hour and it was gone. <laughs> no. <laughs> so last week we were talking about, um, what was it called? Monday Fun Day. And basically the point of that was, man, I am... Drawing blanks? Some kind of... Wasn't that the today. commentary of the videos and matches and whatnot? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up because I want to make sure I say it right. Episode 120. All right. Yeah, it was from Michael Sheritz. Um, Fun Day Monday where viewers give various restrictions and then commentate on the games that are submitted. And we said that, yeah, we think something like that could work for popular the people. And, you know, I stand by that. So basically what I think we're going to do for the first week, just as kind of a trial run, is any of our listeners who are playing a match um, on MTGO, Go ahead and write down the match number and ship it off to us. Or if you happen to have the capacity to record it, if you could record it and and send it our way. And then we can just kind of do some commentary over top of it, see kind of if we know what we're talking about or not, I guess is the main way to do it. And if I'm way off on what this is exactly supposed to be, (laughs) feel free to yell at me and tell me what it is exactly supposed to be. But I didn't want to put too many restrictions on it for the first week. I wanted to just kind of say anything goes just so we can maybe get the most amount of people submitting stuff just so we can see how it works as a trial run, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like you guys are just agreeing with me out of pity at this point because I'm exhausted. No. No, I don't have anything to argue with yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of arguing, 
Let's move on to this interesting article from Mark Rosewater that was posted uh, today, titled 20 Things That Were Going to Kill Magic. And um, Nate tipped this off to me, so Nate, why don't you go ahead and take the reins? All right. I uh, just happened to be on Facebook and Popper Evolution, or I think Popper Evolution, Revolution, whatever. Um, they Evolution. Post- Evolution, they posted this Evolution. article... By Mark Rosewater, and it immediately caught my attention because of the heading, the headline. Um, it's the uh, it's a big long article, but I'll just go over the, the what Mark Rosewater and Mark Rosewater's uh, opinion, the top twenty things that uh, he thinks is killing that he that would kill magic. I might go for number one and go down, or start from the bottom and go up. Yeah, I think so. Let's clarify really quick. Um, the thing that's amazing about this is because. Mark's obviously been with the company for a long, long, long time. So he's been at the helm for quite a few of these changes that all of these players have said were going to kill the game. This is basically him putting the smackdown on all of our heroes of the web that we could ever have in the future. <laughs> oh, this is, is priceless. Yes. So we'll start with number 20 and work our way down. Number 20, New Slivers in Magic 2014. Um, I, I, there's a piece on, there's a, I guess so you can just, you guys can, we'll just basically go, go the route of you tell your opinion on this and then we're not going to go into what the article, cause it's a long article. I guess I don't think it's that big of a deal. The, the artwork's a little weird on him, but I think the new slivers are interesting. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, for, for context, this is him telling people that are complaining about stuff to shut up. You know that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it's great because the new slivers were the most recent thing that were going to destroy magic and he's basically telling them to cram it yeah and actually not that bad yep okay number 19 organized play changes uh relating to them okay let's see here replacement of this rating system oh yeah t- abolishing pro points yep Getting rid of ELO and, and starting up Planeswalker points. Yeah. And how that was how that killed the game. Yeah. Uh, number 18, double-faced cards. Basically our flip cards that we have in Innistrad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like this. is This is too good to read. Some players felt that magic... That the magic back was a hard and fast rule that could never be broken. They were ripping off Kaijudo and Duel Masters and... Just this list here. They required sleeves or a checklist card. They messed up draft. They made players have to de-sleeve and flip them over. Every flaw was pointed out time and time again. Despite that, though, they went on to be the highest-ranked mechanical component in Innistrad and Dark Ascension. There was even a large outcry when the last set in the block, Avacyn Restored, didn't have any. <laughs> That's true, it didn't. Yeah. Because they got rid of all the worlds and stuff like that. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even realize that last one, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. The New World Order. Uh, basically, this is involving dumbing down the game. When they probably, when people complain that they probably went away from Mana Burn and all that stuff. Yeah, and they were also talking about how one of the ways to do it would be um, the more complicated or I guess advanced would be a better word for it. The more advanced the card, the higher the rarity it would need to have. 
And this was and this was one that you know there was a little bit of concern on our part initially because it's like does that mean commons are just going to get vanilla creatures? And as we can see, that's obviously not the case. Yeah. Number sixteen, the two thousand Magic twenty ten rules change basically. Uh, Damage on the stack was removed, and uh, oh, this is when Dynana. This is when Mana Burn was removed. Mana, removing Mana Burn and the term, uh, terminology, the battlefield and exiled were added to help flavor to simplify how to play the game. That was 2010. Uh-huh. Yeah, man, that was this was my first. End of the world for magic, I guess. <laughs> Not personally, but this is the first I heard about it where people would lose their shit over stuff. So, man, yeah. Well, damage on the stack. I remember damage on the, the stack was the biggest cry. thing that people argued about because it changed how a lot of interactions ended up. And so yeah. a lot of cards that were actually good or decent ended up just going, well, that's garbage now. It was Mog Fanatic, wasn't it? You guys destroyed Mog Fanatic. Well, things like, yeah, Mog Fanatic who could end up doing two damage or things like... uh. I remember back with my old fish deck, like Darian Merfolk, it was a 2-1 that you could declare block, do the 2 damage, and then bounce back without getting killed. And so, mm-hmm. essentially, it was just this monster blocker, but after taking damage off the stack, things changed, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number 15, lands in booster packs. When Magic began, sets were sold in both starters and boosters. Yeah. <laughs> starters were boxes that held 75, originally 60 cards, including 30 land. So, intro and fat packs would have land, but what about a player who just bought boosters? The solution to the problem was to replace one of the common cards with the basic land. Um, before my deal. time, whatever. Um, yeah, I, exactly. Back when it happened, I didn't see what the big deal was, because, I mean, they're taking away a common, oh my god, Really? Yes, you need but they're losing one less card. Because you need that it, one million bull rush. Hey, poppers of format, you need all the commons you can get. <laughs> Number 14, Mythic Rares. I actually agree with this one because uh, I don't see the greatness with the Mythic Rares and the uh, regular Rares. In a lot of cases, all I see is another rare card, even though it has a red symbol on it. So. Uh, so I guess my biggest beef with Mythic Rares was... Uh, Martha just means, these are... Mythic Rares, I understand the concept behind them. They're supposed to be... If you stick a Mythic Rare, it's supposed to be game-changing, altering, and it can almost, like, win a game on its own. And a lot of them don't. <laughs> a lot of them don't, some of them do. But the biggest problem with it is that, like, what is it? In a box full of boosters, they have maybe three to five of them, I think, in a box? Yeah, three to five in a box. They're making them so scarce that, if in a constructed format, they're going to incorporate Mythics. It's just how, like, standard and... Well, even Legacy and stuff like that is... Just constructing in general is done now. And doing so makes them that much harder to gain, which is dry, helps, or unfortunately drives up the price of cards, unfortunately, for a lot of them. Yeah. Number 13, Planeswalkers. Oh my god, horrible. <laughs> I guess I don't, I, I think, that, I guess when it comes to Planeswalkers, I just really think they needed to do something different. I mean, look how, before Planeswalkers, I mean, the, the, all you really had was your same permanence. There was nothing new. There was always artifact, enchantment, artifact, enchantment, sorcery, instant creature. I mean, they had to add a new permanent at some time, you know. Yeah. See, the big deal is. I guess they were rare back in Lorwyn. Oh, uh-huh. well, they were. 
Back when, I remember the first pack of Lauren I ever bought, I opened a Jace Bellerin. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, what do we got? The Evergreen Keyword Reminder Text. After 8th edition, they brought on the uh, reminder text, which it said flying, and then in parentheses and italicized, it said what it did. That's useful to a degree, though, because it lets people understand what abilities do, especially if they're new to magic. And then people can argue about it. True. Another problem is because they don't, because magic hasn't, you know, printed this large book of rules that we can just go ahead and go, I wonder uh, how this interacts and how this would resolve, and go, oh, this is how these abilities interact with each other. You get to use reminder text for the basis of most judgments, it seems. Yeah, instead of trying to kill kill the other person on the other side of the table because they're, they're arguing with you. Pretty much. This This is great. Numerous players found the reminder text offensive as they saw it as yet another example of R&D catering to new players. <laughs> to which I would say, um, go crawl into a hole and die. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is, I love this one. This is hilarious. The eight, Number 11, the 8th edition card frame. Oh my god, they really, they're going to whine about a, a card yep. frame change? You have no kidding how many people got angry. I guess when it comes to this, the only thing I didn't like was them making the artifacts gray. Rather than brown? I, I was partial to the brown artifacts. What's interesting is the reasoning behind it. The department in charge of laying out and printing the cards explained that there were a few changes that needed to be made for printing purposes. It was cheaper to do and that And I saw that. Yeah, so... Oh, oh, you're going to like this one, Peter. You'll like this one, Chris. Number 10, Magic the Gathering Online. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that failed. Some <laughs> argued it would never work, while others feared it would keep players from playing in stores. The internet was full of people explaining how it could never work and how they went, they went to ever play it. 11 years later, it's still going strong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe it's the reason why we're all talking right now. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Who knows? Number nine, sixth edition rules. Okay, what do they change here? Sixth edition rules basis. The stack was introduced. Uh, numerous rules went away, which tightened the sequence of turns. Basically, they structured the game in sixth, uh, sixth edition rules. just restructured the game into a more... Uh, more uh, makes more sense. Closer to what it is today. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he he says the rules of early magic were a mess. Each ruling was made on a card-by-card basis, making rule system that felt like it was being held together by duct tape. I mean, you know, they never... Richard Garfield, he had no idea it would become what it is. Yeah. And so they had to make changes as the game grew. So it's just... makes sense. Eight, oh, number eight, premium cards. Basically, all the premium promos and foil premium cards that you get. People think they're horrible. How dare you give yeah. us free shit that isn't Mythic Rares and stuff like that. I don't care yeah. if it's free. Yar, yar, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> number seven, pitch cards. Um, basically, your Bounty the Hunt, your Scars of the Veteran, your Force of Will, Contagion, and Pyrokinesis. <laughs> the cards that you can almost pay, play for free. 
Yep. That's their big argument. Number <laughs> six, the reserved list. Taking away cards that just make cards that they won't ever reprint. Probably not a bad idea. <laughs> it's... I can kind of agree with the reserves. I'm not going to say it's going to destroy magic, but I can kind of agree with some of the reserve list things. And so, like, some of them definitely on that list should never be printed again. Some of yeah. them, perhaps. I know it would be, if they unbanned a lot, or reprinted some of the cards on the reserve list, it would probably warp standard. Yeah, which is would. one of the reasons why they don't want to. But I guess I would have always played from a more of a classic format, I guess, like Legacy and stuff like that, so... I'd like to see if some of those reprinted to get a hold of some of them. <laughs> option two would be, or option three, or whatever option we're on, would be, you know, to make, you know, from the vault reserved list, I guess, if you wanted to. But my god, you think the from the vault 20 is expensive? Oh, yeah. don't, no, stop. Because, <laughs> you know, if they do it from the vault reserved list, we're looking at Black Lotus, and that automatically makes, oh my god. <laughs> you, I don't think you'd even see it in stores. Chances are, if any stores bought them, they'd probably just go ahead and sell them open. Crack eBay open and sell the cards right online. Maybe the they biggest have, turn of profit they could make. Yeah, or they just eBay them immediately, like I heard a lot of stores did with this from the Vault 20. Mm-hmm. This is a can't win, can't lose issue for yeah. for everyone involved with this reserve list. Because yeah. say Wizards did reprint them, the secondary market's going to throw a fit. The people that already have them are going to go nuts about you know the fact that you know you've just made my cards less valuable. Granted, it's not like it's going to tank them and make Black Lotus a fifteen dollar card all of a sudden. But all the same, it is going to have some sort of negative effect on the price of the card. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it just it makes sense that this is the way they do it, and you know if yeah, it's, it's just one of the things that they've said that they're not going to change. They're not going to change it. Pretty much, I, I compl- like I said, it's one of those no one win situations. But yep. in the end, it needs to exist. And number five feeds right into your reserve reserve list. Our conversation. The re- the printing of Chronicles is number five on the list. Oh, Chronicles! <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, Wizards thought that some of the newer players coming in missed a lot of fun cards in the previous set, so they made a set that just reprinted a bunch of uh, older cards. Modern Masters for paper. Modern Masters for paper. Chronicles for paper too. <laughs> More or less, the um, reserve list came because of Chronicles, because a lot of people got pissed. That some old powerful cards got reprinted. Yeah. Now, isn't this also the set where it was like they didn't exactly label them very well? No, they did a horrible job. So people job like, oh yeah, I got a, you know, it's I know it's not in there, but yeah, I got a Black Lotus. It's like, well, you have a Chronicles Black Lotus, you don't have an Alpha Black Lotus. Yeah. It's not yeah. crap. It made it really hard to judge. Like I remember being at the dugout and getting those cards in, and you really had to. Chronicles has the seat, doesn't it? Though on it for its it, set emblem. Yes, it does, but at the same time, they look weird, too. They, they they look weird, they look and feel like the real thing, and sometimes the insignia on the Chronicles isn't that well pronounced. Hmm. It's really messed up. Um, and then I we guess got, I haven't uh, handled that many Chronicle cards, so yeah. I'll defer to you on that one, I guess. And then we got Nolithony Dragon. These are basically, uh, it's a card. It's only a $2 card, so, but I, but the reason why people are livid over the Nolithony Dragon and other cards like it are, this, what they call the special coupon card. It was a special unique card that only existed. Through, you can only get it in a certain means. Wasn't yeah, you it, can only it got, get it in certain means. You bought it means. through, uh, 
you had a book or something, you sent something in for it? Yeah. I guess this dragon they're talking about was the first one ever, and it was in a special promotion of attendees at a 1994 Dragon Dragon Con convention. And they created the you know, card I, just for that convention. I like the way they do it. They do it now. It's like with the comic book, you can get an alternate printing of a card that does exist. That kind of is the best of both worlds. Yeah. Still getting something cool for buying the comic book, but and, and it's got an alternate artwork. But by the same token, if it's not really your thing, you can still play like the regular faithless looting and be just yeah. as good. Number three, the start of type two, also known as standard. That's number three. Yep. As, as sets kept coming out, it became clear that something else had to be done to keep the power level of the game from spiraling out of control. <laughs> Think about that now. I couldn't even imagine. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <sighs> That'd be gross. The creation of the banned and restricted lists for number two. I like number one. <laughs> Basically, yeah, number just making the game more balanced. I, I, I think I agree with a lot of the banned and restricted list because it some of those cards just completely like, like number three. It makes the uh, format spiral out of control. They gotta have some way of controlling it a little bit to make it a different format. Otherwise, what's the point of having different formats if you're not gonna have a banned restricted list? I mean. And number one, my favorite, the introduction of 60-card decks and four-card limits. <laughs> this reminds me of the old 40-card uh, Pestilence Rat deck. <laughs> or it's like, what is it, Black Lotus, Pestilence Rats, and uh, Sinkholes? Yep. And so it's just, oh, throw as many Black Lotuses out, tap them, crack them, throw as many Pestilence Rats out, so you're like a turn one, four, like some Pestilence Rats. And so all four fours just go, okay, your turn. No, the, the, the reason why number one I find funny is because back when the dugout was still open, our manager, an, an older player, he's been playing since the game started, he complained about this constantly, the fact that he had to have 60 cards in a deck and the limit was four because he claimed it was just great to play back when there, the, the, rule, the rules of magic were there, no, there were no rules. That was also kind of like the old west to say. <laughs> it's like back in my day when we played Magic, there were no rules. And hey, do you remember the old burn other. deck? Huh? Do you remember the old burn deck? Um, 20, uh, 20 mountains and forty lightning bolts. Yep. <laughs> it's just every Jeez. turn, lightning bolts. <laughs> Next turn, two lightning bolts. Third of that, three lightning bolts. <laughs> and this top deck from there. <laughs> yeah. So. It's not the heroes of the web this week, but there is, you know, comments in the message board for this, and as you can imagine, they're hilarious. <laughs> oh, but what I will say, what I will say is what one person wrote that I thought was very interesting. He said, "Rule number three: cards nobody can get. Results: players get angry. Rule number four: cards everybody can get. Result: players get angry." <laughs> And number five, a promise to never do number three or four again. Result, players get angry. I love it. So you never win. (laughs) Exactly. You never win. It's impossible to (laughs) lose people. Yep. Yep. I thought this article was interesting. Very interesting. (laughs) But, yeah. 
So, gentlemen, it is Brew of the Month time. Oh, yeah. Yay! And before we jump into the new one, we should see if there's any finalized stuff regarding the July Brew of the Month. I, I think basically... Yeah, I saw you have a final list. Me and, I think me and Nate have different lists, though. I think basically what happened with the people who tend to play it a lot is they got really burnt out on this one. Because <laughs> so there was it. never a short game with it. Yeah. No. Yeah. The longer all you do with this deck is punish yourself. I would say that, but that you're definitely in for the long haul, which is what we strive to do. Almost so, I'm not going to be angry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Nate, why don't you cover your final list? Okay. Quick? All right, July brew by myself. I went with three Azorius Guild Gates because I don't like four. I just don't like it. Uh, two Haunted Fengraph. Makes sense. Nine Islands, nine Plains. I ended up with pretty much a good 50-50 blue-white mix. Um, creatures. I went with three Basilica, Basilica Guards, four Seraph of Dawn, and four Syndicate Tithes. And then, for other spells, this one is in contention because at the time I couldn't find, I really didn't know what else to throw in there. So I just threw three cards in there. I, I went with Dramatic Rescue. You gain two life and you can save a creature against a heavy removal deck. Or get rid of an attacker and gain two life. Or whatever. Sure. Um, four Essence Scattered, three Negates, four Pacifisms, four Righteous Blows. I went with one Runner's Bane, surprisingly enough. I thought it was a bad card, but it actually found out it actually isn't that bad at all. Told ya. Especially when you watch their uh, their main aggro guy just tap down completely and they can't do anything about it. Um, three Silent Departure, that card was amazingly effective. <laughs> Especially when, you're at, when you uh, get to extort for like three to four damage. Um, four Think Twice, again, draw a card and hurt your opponent. A lot of fun there. And then uh, sideboard, one negate, three beckon apparition, one cancel, just because uh, really got, I had a hard time against some of those heavy counter spell decks. Three curse of the bloody tome, two to spell, one eld god shield mate, and four keening apparitions because junk enchantments can just explicitive you or me whatever <laughs> expletive <laughs> expletive. <laughs> Not a fan of the the uh, <laughs> drunk enchantments there, Nate? No, I'd hate taking that deck going against that deck. Have you run and, against and, it and since like M14 Pe- came out? Yeah, and like Peter said, that's, that's a deck that after you lose to it the first time, you swear to God you're never going to lose to it again. Because <laughs> it's just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think that's why the cancel was in there, too. Just so I could have a, a negate and maybe another way of canceling an enchantment. I can't remember. Sometimes you just need that one cancel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alright, so Peter, where did your brew end up? Yep, so mine ended up with uh, a little bit different than Nate's. 23 land, 4 zero skill gates, 200 fengraph, 9 planes, 8 islands. That's pretty straightforward. I, had, I didn't really change my mana base throughout the entire time of our testing. For creatures, I had 17 of them, 4 Syndic of Tithes, 4 Seraphidons, 4 Basilica Guard, 3 Elgeld Shieldmate, 
which I eventually ended up throwing in there mainly because uh, dealing with Flickergate decks, you needed to have something that could stop them from uh, just killing off your entire board state, and it definitely helped out against like the blue-black control deck as well. And then two, Griff Vanguard, which is basically the popper uh, Maldrifter. I'll have to say, I definitely took that from Dan, all of his testing, saying like, we needed another just airborne threat other than hoping to win off the back of Seraph every time. Let's see, that's interesting really quick to um, to just derail you, because I know that most of the people on the forums, at least, kind of ended up getting rid of the Elgod Shield Mate altogether. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was going to say, I don't... I was going to say, I agree with them that sometimes, for whatever you're going against, it helps, and sometimes it definitely hurts. Mm-hmm. Like, I usually main board them just because I played against Flicker 8 so often that I almost needed to if I wanted to stand a chance. Sure. But... It's not. It wasn't uncommon to see me sideboard them out. Like they're my go-to sideboard out card usually. So again, some of the more aggro decks, I'm like, okay, a four-drop two-three that get that gives hexproof isn't nearly as great as just dropping this. So they're usually the ones that got pulled out to replace the Kenyan Apparition against like the white decks and stuff like that, or against uh, what other ones? I forgot the other deck. I always sideboard them out on. Usually like black red burn and uh mono red burn, but those are the ones I always got sideboarded out. Mm-hmm. Anyways, moving on to spells, we had twenty of those, so we had four. I had four essence scatter, three negate. I know that's one thing a lot of people didn't do at the end is they never kept the negate mainboarded. I ended up against doing it just because, like I said, I hate junk enchantments and I refuse to lose to it. So it's probably a bullheaded <laughs> choice on my part, but it worked. Well- <laughs> Sure, you could say it's bullheaded, but you know what? You can also say that it's my deck, and I want to have fun playing with it. And if that means that I play some cards that aren't necessarily optimal, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That and again, it helps out deck or game one against uh, a flicker two, just because you have something to stop that first flicker if you can catch it. Right. So you're not just dead to them. Anyways, following that, think twice. Again, we've pre- we sung its prices in this deck how many times now? I don't think you need to hear me repeat it. Then I had three Righteous Blow, because we needed something, some way of killing stuff on board, because pacifism just didn't do anything. So that came in there, that definitely helped out against more of the aggro decks, and actually killed a fair portion of the mod with Flyer deck. So with after that change got put in, it definitely helped me out against that fly, the Flying deck a lot more than we uh, had previously. And now, since ever since M14 came out, Four Celestial Flare, that was kind of what everyone agreed on that one. Just pacifism is junk, and this is probably the better way to go. Just because, again, there is no reason for people... If there's a blue deck out there, chances are they're running Flicker, which makes all of your pacifisms worthless. And then finally, my last two cards were the Hands of Binding, which I never actually found out what I wanted to switch those out with, so they kind of stuck. I took mine out. I didn't like it. I'd always get stuck... Every time I had that card in hand, I ended up burning it and just tapping something down for one turn. Because the game had gotten, for me, the game had gotten so much, you're going to do something, I'm going to stop it, and you're never going to. And I'm, had, I can't get out with my attackers, because you're going to do something my attackers anyway. <laughs> you know, because you'd stop this, and then you'd go to Hands of Binding and try to cipher, and then they just kill the creature off immediately. So it's like, whatever. I'm just going to yeah. extort out to win every time. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. And then in my sideboard, three Beckon Apparition, three Dispel, 
three Keenan Apparition, three Curse of the Bloody Tome for the Mirror Matches, Extort Matches, and the Flicker Gate Matches. So basically any control deck. And then mm -hmm. three Silent Departure, which also helped out against the uh, Flyers list, because hitting that 3-4 Evolved uh, Cloudfin Raptor turns Lakin Raptors into basically nothing worth worrying about, as well as uh, screwing over Stitch Strikes. Yeah, makes sense. And that really does screw over Stitch Strike, especially if they've only got that one dude in their yard that they exiled. And every yeah. time I've played against someone playing mono blue flyers, they've always been eager to get that guy out as soon as possible, so it's just like, okay, you set yourself up for this. Yeah. And so you that, know they that, have a dead card just sitting there. Yeah, and clown that Raptor late game just sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> they don't have anything else to evolve it at that point. Yeah. It's already on board. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. So that's kind of where we ended up, which means now we need to come up with a standard popper brew of the month again. We're kind of we talked about it a little bit last week, and um, just kind of maybe trying to do maybe two or three standard popper builds to every classic one we do, just because the classic one's a lot harder to crack. Yeah. And a lot of people are having a lot of fun um, messing around with the standard popper brews. So I think that that's just going to be a little more fun. Oh, yeah. Um, we had a couple of different suggestions. We got a... Um, we actually got a Rakdos sack slash morbid list from, from Justin, um, which we could take a look at if we wanted to. I know we were also kind of kicking around the idea for maybe doing mono black. Mm, I like that. So um, I'm I'm open to either one. I guess I can leave it open to you guys. Uh, well, Dan said he wanted to do something black. I don't think there's enough in enough to do mono black. Unfortunately, I don't want to do blue black because that was one of our earlier brews. So I guess I'm more inclined for either Golgari or Rakdos, I'd say. Mm. Well, I would like to do Rakdos. Didn't we, didn't we do one a while ago? I think it might have been the first one we did. Okay. I, but, I mean, we're going to run out of color combinations eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Might as well revisit it. This is a different deck. Are we talking about Justin's deck? Yeah. We want to start out with that list and kind of go off that, or yeah, we can do that. I mean, we that's that's a way we've gone about that. We haven't done it before, so we um, could just start with his list and work our way out, work our way from there. Yeah, I'm so game, I guess. It. All right, that worked for you, Peter. Sure, read off the list, and so everyone knows what we got. I'm building it right now on the dumb TG deck builder as you speak. So okay, so we got Not two really. evolving wilds. Seven Mountain, four Rakdos Guildgate, and eight Swamp. For creatures, we've got four Bloodflow Connoisseur, four Bloodthrown Vampire, four Butcher Ghoul, three Driver of the Dead, three Festering Newt, Yay. three Goblin Arsonist, and three Pitchburn Devils. As far as spells, we've got three Active Treason, four Brimstone Volley, four Krenko's Command, and four Tragic Slip. And in the sideboard, we have one more Act of Treason, four Duress, three Grave Purge, three Mind Rot, one Predator's Gambit, and three Thunderbolt. So, let's take a look here. We have 
basically what he's saying is um, he's been messing around with this online the last few days and having a blast. Lots of fun interactions with the various sat cards and morbid. Flickergate is, a, is an issue to beat, of course. Yeah. But White Weenie, Gruel, and Red Deck Winds have all folded to it fairly easily. Love to hear your feedback. Love the show as always, Justin. So a lot of these cards will only be good for will only be good for about a month because in September we're going to have the change. Yep. Ooh. Well, it's a good thing that we only have a month to work. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's brew of the month, not brew of the quarter. <laughs> so are we gonna are we gonna keep the rule? Are we gonna keep M14 out of this? Or are we allowed to play around with M14 in this one? It's we a, can play with it. It's online now, so we might as well make full use of it. Yeah, I think that's going to be the bulk of what types of changes we have. So, I mean, let's take a look. Let's take a look at this. So, obviously, as far as our spells that are designed to kill, we've got Tragic Slip. Uh, we've got Brimstone Volley, and we've got Active Treason. Now the thing that's nice is you've got the active treason blood flow connoisseur thing going on, which I think is really awesome. Active treason the creature and then sack it and put mm-hmm. a plus one plus one blood throw um, blood flow connoisseur. Uh hmm. yes and no. Is active treason or is it a what's the uh, traitor's instinct? If we still have use to that one, would that be better just because we seal them get trampled, so you get to swing with it and two if it's a larger creature? Yeah, but you're going to want to swing up the connoisseur, too. Well, Active Treason, let's see. Red and two colorless. Gain control of target creature on the end of turn. Untap it, it gains haste versus Active Treason. It gains trample and haste. I would rather... I'd rather stick with Active Treason, personally, because it's the one red and two colorless versus one colorless. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, do we have a... What's Traitor's Instinct? Is that the red two colorless that gets plus two plus oh, or is that red red as well? It's red red colorless Traitor's Instinct. Red red colorless, it untapped target creature and gain control of it. It gains haste and trample. Or not, ah, what's the other one? The new one that came out. It buffs them when you steal it. Son of a... Did it come out in M14? I think it was in Return to Ravnica. God, now this is going to bug me. That's a four drop. Is it? Yeah, that's a four drop. I think it's uncommon. Mm-mm. It's common. It's a four drop. I think it's a four drop because I had it in my mono red EDH deck. I took it out though. Um, Just give the gather a quick search. Trade something trader. Nice progression. No, I know. I know. Where are you? It's gonna bug me. Shandra's Fury, Shandra's Outrage, Crater Eyes. It was red, wasn't it? Of course it's red. It's a neck your shit kind of card. You're not thinking Dyna Charge. No. No. Dyna Charge is the one that, uh, it's like plus two plus zero to everyone. Yep. Son of a. Traders. It- yeah, Trader's Instinct is the uh, source. Yeah, it is a four drop. Bam. Where you gain control of target creature until end of turn, untap the creature until end of turn, it gets plus two plus one and gains haste. Bam. Yeah. And then there was also that Gatekeeper. The Ubles, yeah. The Red, great, red Gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. That Ubles are. 
Yeah, there's Traitor's Blood and Traitor's Instinct. Yeah, yeah, I think Act of Treason is probably the best one for that. Yeah. Better costed. Alright, so... Let's take a look at what M14 has to offer. Because basically, what, we're, what are we doing here? We are... Blowing our own dudes up. And taking your opponent's dudes and blowing them up, too. And then making our own guys bigger. And we got Butcher Ghoul, which has him dying. Yeah. Bloodthrone Vampire. Sense. Between Bloodthrone Blood Vampire and Bloodflow Connoisseur. We have eight sack outlets. Unfortunately, both come out at turn three, don't they? Uh, Bloodthrown Vampire is a two-drop. Oh, that's right. For some, I was thinking of Nantuku Husk. My bad. So, yeah, that is a two-drop. But Bloodflow Connoisseur, unfortunately, is a... Three drop. What we do need to look at is Blood Baron. That's a three drop as well. I think but it's sacrifice another creature. Blood Baron gets plus two plus two until end of turn. Hmm. Ooh, here's a question for you. Okay. Okay, so most of our creatures are one drops, correct? Yeah, I'd say most of them are two drops. Well, no, because Cranko's command. Um, yeah, one drop, I'd say. Double check this quick, because I think it is. Do, 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 do. Is it, can it be? Fling. Is Fling legal? Yeah, it's Dark Ascension. Son of a... You yeah, just like, Peter, you just like the card and Fling. Hey, it does some work, Okay. If we're having this many sack outlets, it's not uncommon if we have enough creatures on board, because think of it, Bushier gives you two buffs to a Bloodthrown Vampire, making it a 5-5 five, five right off the bat. If you have Crankle's Command, again, that's another plus 4, plus 4. If you get, what is it, after a, a Morbid Brimstone Volley and then a Fling, that could do it. All the while, we have enough creatures to create such an unstable board state that I don't think it would be surprising if we could keep them off kilter for a little bit. The only thing I can see having problems with is against Flickergate, but then again, if you can do the, enough explosive damage with a fling and a morbid uh, brimstone volley, that might be able to stop them before they start rolling through the gatekeeper to kill us. That, and you can, if you play it upright, you can steal their gatekeepers from them. So when they play that green one that they gain life, you can just steal it and sack it out. Yeah, you don't, do you think maybe it's too cute between Active Treason and, I mean, we kind of want to, uh, there's, there's a bunch of different ways we could go with this. Because if we're already sacking our own dudes to make stuff bigger, and we're occasionally sacking our opponent's dudes to make stuff bigger, do we really want to be completely obliterating our own board state by flinging on top of that? True, but I think, I think you'd view it more or less something like a, affinity where if you have one or two maybe in the deck and use them as a finisher or as if after you've gotten that blood flow kind of sewer to something decent and then you know they're just going to blow it off you might as well get rid of it and make some use of it before it gets hit with like celestial flare oh, or I know what you're saying so away. you get them down get them down to 10 and it's 5 5 and you swing it and it's 5 and they need this 5 more damage you're just laying it out pretty much but like I said too the, the problem with the other big buff creatures especially one plus one plus one counters is it's a huge target for Mistraven and other, any other bone spell. 
And so if you're going to lose all the stuff you've put into that creature, you might as well lose it and you get something out of it. Yeah, but do you want to, like, openly bring in a swing? Do you want to openly initiate a swing and have them stop it, or do you want them to try hitting your creature and then fling in response? Because you're almost running into it in a tog in a tog win situation. That's basically what I'm suggesting is that you're gonna end up swinging with it and see what they do. And if you can sack down to kill them, sack down to kill them. And if they try to do anything in response, then you fling it still. Okay. If you're thinking in that terms, it's not a bad idea. But initially trying to fling it is a bad idea. Oh, of course not. That's why I said you'd only ever two. It's a convenient card if you get the setup for it. You don't want to have to rely on that for your kill. Might be sideboard worthy just to try it out in the sideboard first. I don't know. I'm thinking. I mean, that's something that we can maybe look at coming back to. Because what's kind of making me question like easier easier changes to make. I'm thinking why don't we get rid of Driver of the Dead and put in three copies of Blood Baron? I think Driver of the Dead gets your creatures back. If they're two or less, how many creatures do we have that are two or less? Uh the majority of them. Majority of them. Other than Cranko's Command and uh Well Cranko's Command isn't even a creature. Exactly, that's why I said it's one of the cards you can't get back, but you're using Blood. it more or less as a creature. Bloodthrown Vampire, and if you bring back a Butcher Ghoul after it's been killed, you get multiple uses out of Undying. That is true. And Festering Newt. Arsonist. Yeah, there's a quite a bit of cards in it. It makes Driver of Dead good. Okay, I can concede that. When Festering Newt dies, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one. Until the turn, that creature gets minus four, minus four if you control it, which doesn't apply. So he's... Man, I don't know. I want to I get Blood Baron in there somewhere. How many? Three? Three... Oh, he's the, uh, basically the, the, uh, Natuko Husk, isn't he? Yeah, sack another creature, Blood Baron gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Which, Nantuko. versus Bloodflow Connoisseur, which, that one actually gets a counter on it, like, forever and ever, and ever, ever. Forever, ever? Forever, ever. Forever and ever. Like I said, so I almost, hmm. go ahead. The biggest problem, too, yeah, is, like, do you want to keep with the, uh, plus one, plus one? I figure it's, we almost want to choose one or the other. Because the Blood Baron, or not the Blood Baron, but the uh, Bloodful Carnage here gives you a steady source of swinging power, which is nice, unless lets you overpower, or eventually lets you sit back and be able to block without having to destroy your entire board state. But that lets you, that forces you to put all your eggs in one basket, and then, uh, unfortunately, it tends to get bounced or something, and... Yeah... Um, my problem with Blood Baron, yeah, I like that. My problem with Blood Baron is, besides that, you're putting yourself on a clock because you, once you run out of creatures with this deck, you are literally just not sitting good. Yeah, Period. but I mean, I think 
I think about the potential of active treason with it as well. Yeah, but you only have four of those in the deck, or at most four in the deck. I don't know, maybe this is just the list we start with, and we just see how this works for a little while. And then we know that there are kind of changes that can be made. I guess, yeah, yeah after playing a couple of games with the original list, we'll fear, f- get a feel for what we think are the weak points of the deck and where the kinks where we can start working from there. Yeah. All right. Might as well. well. That was a quick start. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess not ever playing the deck, I'd like to see how the original deck list works before I start tweaking it. Tweaking it. Yeah, no, I can totally, I can totally agree with that. I just, I know from the list that was sent to us, it's pre-M14, so yeah. there's, there's obviously options for stuff that can be yeah. changed. If you In other words, sense. what I'm saying is, I want to fail a few times before I figure out how this deck works. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, we'll we'll start with that list then. I'll make sure it's posted up um, since Nate went ahead and. Give us the link for that. Yep. Right here. That's what I do. That is what you do. All right. Well, we got to move on because we are burning time here, guys. Ah, we're doing fine. It's because our right. first article in the news was actually like the size of a topic. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Nate wanted to talk about something that he saw in Star City Games. Actually, I did not see it on Star City Games. I read the article after it was brought up by my friend Corey, who is a member of my EDH playgroup, because he's been... he. Oh, speaking of which, he did get MTGO, and after he gets a better laptop, he will have it on, and he will be online playing with us, and he is interested in uh, joining the community and being part of the standard popper thing and testing out brews of the month. Sweet. So Corey's a pretty cool guy. Um, basically, this is, a, and amazingly enough, this is a popper article, and it is on starcitygames.com. Well, it's, by, it's also by Alex Ullman. It's which, also by Alex Ullman, yes, but I just find it, you don't see too many popper articles on, on Star City ever that much, so. Um, this is an article, he is entitled, Crush and Ramp in Popper. It highlights a few of the standard, uh, a few of the, uh, Standard popper, no, this is just regular popper. Popper decks, like Eye Candy, which aka is your Kiln Fiend deck or whatever. But that's not the big highlight of the deck. The highlight of this deck is uh, um, his version of Green Post. It's, it, is a diff- it is a different version of green of your Green Post. So, you mean Sentinel Green in the list yes, here? Yes, Sentinel Green. That's the standard, use, or that's the standard well, he's, mono he's green going post off deck. Of yeah, well, he has the green post, a, green, a regular green post list, and then he talks about the stuff that he no, experienced. No, green is the current use oh. green post deck, because it's the one I use as well. The only changes oh. he's made is that he, uh, rather than mainboarding the Penumbra Spiders, he has a Sentinel Spider and Serrated Arrows in its place with uh, Ancient Storians to find those for mm-hmm. your uh, Ulamog Crushers and Serrated Arrows and land, I guess, too. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, he runs the four Reap and Sow and four Mulavani Acid Moss and a couple... Uh, no, he doesn't run the crop rotations in this one. Yeah. Um, I'll go over to this quick. Or here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, 19 creatures, four Arox, four Lanor Sentinels, four Overgrown Battlements, 
One Sentinel Spider, two Ulamog's Crusher, and four Wall of Roots. There's 23 Land in it, 14 Forest, four Cloud Post, four Glimmer Post, and one Slippery Karst. Spells are two Straight Arrows, three Moments Peace, three Ancient Stirrings, two Gift of Gargantuan, of the Gargantuan, four Moon Bali Acid Moss, and four Reapin' Reapin So. With the sideboard of one Serrated Arrows, three Fangren Marauders, two Penumbra Spiders, four Scattershot Archers, two Wickerbra Elders, one Moment's Peace, and two Naturalize. The article goes in, he goes in, in into great detail on how to play this deck, but at the end of the article he talks about how he pretty much faced down almost all the big popper decks and could crush it. The only deck he had a hard time against was Slivers. But uh, I understand why he would, why he'd had a hard time against slivers because the slivers can come off so fast that before he, with the land destruction spells he currently has in this list, it's by that time if your sliver player has four land, it's too late, and you're already dying. Yeah. And uh, I did respond to this article on the forums. Uh, basically, I just wrote that. Uh, um, basically. As much as in the article he wrote how he doesn't like he didn't like thermocurst all that much in the deck, I recommended on my my forum thing that maybe a few thermocursts in the sideboard aren't that bad. Like going against the sliver deck because yes, it is a three it's a three drop kill spell or land land destruction spell, but being that you're running the cloud post, getting getting to three mana earlier in the game isn't all that big all that big of a deal, so you can still and in the classic sliver deck, your big threats are the uh, plus one, plus one, the muscle slivers of the sidewinders, and being able to rob your rob an opponent of those muscle slivers and sidewinder slivers, or even the virulent sliver, isn't a bad thing at all, if you can catch that land early. The biggest problem with Thermocarts, though, the reason why I can see why he doesn't like it is because it's green-green. Yeah. I understand that aspect, but in order to take the sliver deck on, you've got to be able to stop the muscle, the flanking, or the mu- the muscle, the sidewinder, and the bur- burlant from ever coming out. That's one of those the big reasons. One of the big things that you use against the sliver deck in the green post deck, just from my own experience, is the penumbra spiders, just because they're two fours, and they're so damn big. So even if they tr- have to, even after they use, say, uh, what shall I call it, thrill the hunt to kill off one of your guys, which I don't know how often they're gonna be playing those anymore now. You'd still have a two four, and so they'd go, "Oh, well, I dealt it once, but this guy's still big enough to sit back and block me out." Yeah, well, this that he wrote in the later on in the forums how Alex Allman wrote later on in the forums how he just had a hard time against the sliver deck and easy time against the others, and you know, granted he might have just you know didn't have he didn't you know could could have been he just had bad draws, which happens to even the best players. So, yep. And also, just for for reference, Alex has been doing uh, popper articles on Star City Games yeah. for um, at least since the beginning of the year. That's I'm cool. sure that it, they're they're becoming more of a regular thing. It looks like he's putting them up once every two weeks. So. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Just nice seeing some popper articles get some attention on Star City. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's going to bring us to Heroes of the Web. Nice. What do we got this week? (laughs) Segment of our show where we take a look at some of the more interesting characters that inhabit the internet. Blah, 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 blah. Magic the Gathering Salvation. With today's topic, nonstop shuffling of hand. 
So last night I played my second FNM round against a person who shuffled their every... <laughs> okay, so obviously grammar and sentence structure are not a priority here. Let's try this again. So last night I played my second FNM round against a person who shuffled their every game from start to finish. Not quietly either, fairly loud and obnoxious slapping-like sound. At one point, he was down to one card in hand and switched to flicking it back and forth. <laughs> After the first game, I asked if he could stop as it was quite distracting. He responded by saying it wasn't against the rules and that it was something he did in order to annoy and frustrate his opponents in hopes of them making mistakes. I imagine it isn't against the rules, but is there anything besides just scooping and giving up the match that I can do in a situation like this? Um, there's no rules. There's really no rules in the game either that that say you don't have that you could can't wear headphones and listen to music either. Mm-hmm. Um, in our area we have a player that's won two state championships. I've mentioned him on here before, but uh, one of his big one of his big strategies, and I've played against him, is not really flicking, but always asking what's going on and getting playing that game of trying to get you so off kilter and annoyed that you. You forget something, but in a but in a respectful manner. And if you play against them and listen to music, it's like the worst possible thing you can do. <laughs> you know, it's not against the it's not against the rules, and it's not even really. Yeah. Technically, if you want to get really down to it, if he is purposely doing it to be loud and annoying like that, you can call a judge for unsportsman conduct on him. That's true. Dave. Which it's is gonna, a good thing to have to do, but yeah. he, as I say, it depends on where you're turning. Some of the judges can actually just hand out a loss for it. Yeah. But, you know, to be to be a little more pragmatic about it, honestly, it's just kind of one of the things you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Some people do it because of it, it's a nervous tick. Some people do it to get under your skin. Some people do it because they think it's cool to do it. Um, you can play online because it's not, it doesn't really come into play like that. Um, you you just kind of need to learn to deal with it. It's like the people who, when you play poker, they you know put the hoodie up, they put the sunglasses on, they're constantly asking you for your chip count, all that type of stuff. It's all just psychological warfare. And honestly, the best thing that you can do it that you can do against it to make it ineffective is to basically just ignore it, answer their questions, don't let it phase you. And just play your game. Because there are people in this forum that say, um, I, I do it because Brian Kibler did it, which, <laughs> if Brian Kibler jumped off a bridge, would you too? Um, Some people might. Kibler practically takes a fictional bath when he plays, ma- or a, a fake, an invisible bath when he plays magic, though. And then, you know, one guy says, I don't care what anyone says about a nervous tick or whatever bullshit. I'm sure you guys know it's annoying, and yet you keep it up. People do it in hopes to annoy their opponents and hopes their play will suffer. I'm sure if it was something that enhanced the play of your opponent, you would certainly stop. <laughs> Angry. <laughs> Angry. And then this guy says, I certainly shuffle my hand as obnoxiously as possible. I also flick the tops of my cards and try to be as irritating as possible for my opponents. Works like a charm. And then this guy says, when I want to piss off my opponents, I beat them with Bant Hexproof. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) 
<laughs> last last post in the forum by a moderator. Since the thread has devolved into an e-penis contest searching for whoever can prove to be the bigger and prouder jerk, I'll go ahead and close this one down. <laughs> <laughs> Which pretty much happens to just about every forum on MTG. Pretty Sunday. much. People have too much fun and they get really shut it down. Yep. Yep. Ultimately... In some ways, this is why playing kitchen table, you know, why starting out with kitchen tables to your advantage, because you just kind of learn, you learn how to BS with your friends, but still keep a game state going. It's just the next logical step to be able to put up with another player's BS and keep a game state going. I'll be the first to admit I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at like playing playing <laughs> magic at the kitchen table and not paying attention to what's going on around me. <laughs> See, I'm pretty good at doing it, and I think that yeah, I think that coming from poker is an advantage. It, I, I know there are obvious disadvantages to it. I've been called out by Tuna for saying that I'm too serious about it when I'm in the match. You know, I just kind of I. I turn my game face on, and that I know that's unconscious, and that's from my poker playing days. But by the same token, um, it it comes down to that same thing where it's like you know both players are responsible for maintaining the game state. Yes, that's absolutely true, and I agree with that a hundred percent because I do want to win fairly. But by the same token, if you're playing a match and you have an opponent who is absolutely not paying attention to what they're doing in any way. Not looking at, you know, they're missing draws, they're missing plays, they're missing obvious type of stuff. It's kind of like, okay, your head's not really in this anyway, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to play properly and kind of leave it to you to figure out what I've done. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily a dickish move as much as that's more just like, you know, look, dude, I, I would appreciate some courtesy for the fact that we are playing a match. Yeah. And I mean, I will, if someone is annoying with that stuff, I will ask them to stop. But I've also threatened to punch people in the throat before. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Equally effective. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I don't, I don't say that to just be intimidating to people. I really did want to punch that guy in the throat because he deserved it. <laughs> um, but by the same token, you know, You got to walk that fine line between taking it seriously and also knowing that it's just a game. And the taking it seriously, I think, is more out of respect for your opponent than it is out of me being trying to be a hard ass about it. Yeah. If I was doing something like that and I was annoying a player, I would hope that they would tell me, "Hey, dude, could you would you would you knock that off?" And I would, because I don't want to win through distraction. I want to I want to outplay my opponent. But that's just my personal motto for playing games. And if someone else is like, yeah, I'm doing it to piss you off. Okay, I understand that. So. Comments, emails, and feedback. From Matt out of Walla Walla. Um, last week I talked about a little bit about the deck that he was running, and he actually shipped me a list as well. Um, the, it was basically Grixis Flicker. So, good old Flickergate. The Grixis Flicker deck I was playing for a standard popper event in Walla Walla was... Two Active Treason, two Altars Reap, four Archaeomancer, one Augur Spree, three Blood Baron, two Blood Throne Vampire, four Butcher Ghoul, four Demir Guildgate, 
Four Ghostly Flicker, Two Haunted Fengraph, Three Island, Four Is It Guildgate, One Mountain, One Nightwing Shade, Two Prophetic Prism, Four Rakdos Guildgate, Four Smelt Ward Gatekeepers, One Spell Rupture, Five Swamp, Three Tragic Slip, and Four Ubalsar Gatekeepers. And his sideboard is Three Cremate, One Crypt Incursion, Two Devour Flesh, Three Dispel, Three Electricery, One Spell Rupture, and One Tragic Slip. I'm still attempting to figure out the best way to deal with the established Flickergate decks. Most matches I play usually lose due to the massive card advantage they establish. And I, I saw something similar to that firsthand. Granted, um, it was the tokens, uh, Boros Tokens deck that kind of ran over him. But this deck, you have to win fast. And you have the tools that are available to do it. It's just sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So, And then we answered the email from Justin in our Brew of the Month. And then the last one is from Slythetove, Thomas Wilson. Um, says, hey guys, longtime listener, forum poster, and now emailer. I love the show and credit you guys with introducing me to the Popper format, and for that, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for listening. In the forums, both me and Dom have been messing around with the Popper Tron decks. He built a real neat artifact-destroying red-green deck, and I made a black-green big fatty deck affectionately called <laughs> Gogari Tron. <laughs> Dom ended up making some playtesting videos for both, and I've been enjoying both. But I was wondering what you guys thought were thoughts were on Tron and Popper. Does it have advantages over Cloudpost? If part of the post engine were to be banned, do you think Urzatron would make a comeback? Love to hear your answers, and of course this email is in part shameless self-promotion. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. Well, first, first of all, um, the black-green uh, deck has perked my interest, so I want to list, like, soon... I think it's, um, it's on the forums. You can find it. It's on the forums. Is it okay? Um, I actually like Tron. Uh, do I think it could stand a chance at replacing Cloudpost if it was banned? Maybe, but it's really, really hard because I the the Cloudposts are just too good. I mean, if you lo- let's let's look at the cards. You get if you have all three of them, you get a maximum of seven mana. Within the three cards, you got two, one of them makes two, one of them makes two, one of them makes three. Um, the cloud posts clearly, I think, are better because when you have the cloud posts out, every single one of them are tapping for every locust land you have in play. And that's just, if if you're lucky enough, where I, I used to, where I was monkeying around with post decks a while, a, a few, a few months ago, I was monkeying around with post decks. Um, if you're lucky enough to get off two, three cloud posts and just the one glimmer post, you're already sitting really, really pretty. Each one of those cloud posts are are, are bringing four mana into play, or four colorless mana that you can use. And that's off one land, mind you. So, if I think Urzatron could be done in a control fashion if you set it together right, but I think the Urzatron decks are a little bit are gonna be a lot more finicky on the spells you use, where I almost wanna say with the post decks, you are perfectly okay to be reckless. 
with your control spells and not really give a damn in some degree. But I disagree with you on the. Try. I disagree with you on the uh, control spells, but no, I think the biggest problem with Urzatron is the fact that you need to have three different types of land on board to make something happen, where each locust just increases what you have on board to a degree. And I think the biggest thing that Cloudpost has over Ursatron is Glimmerpost. Glimmerpost. Like, yeah. that's the one that breaks the backs of aggro decks, just because they can just go, lay down a land, okay, gain my life. And if they need to, they can sit back and flicker all day one land and keep themselves alive. Yeah. The post decks, the advantage they have in Glimmerpost is what 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 makes it over over Tron. You know, there there have been videos of Tron recently, um, within the past six months. I, I was trying to remember if it was Channel Fireball or if it was another site that I was actually watching them on. Um it is it is a very effective mana producing machine, but it's just not as effective as as the post decks are. Um post decks you have to kill them quick. Um because they generate so much mana that they can do whatever they want. And in addition to that, if you don't kill them quick enough, they just gain all of their life back. And they still have all of that mana available to do whatever they want. Um, I like I like the Tron decks. I really do. And I would like to see a, a, a spot for them. And I think that, you know, if, in the hands, just like any deck, even rogue decks, in the hands of a capable person who has put in the time and the effort with their deck of choice, um, they can they can win with it. But if it was someone who was straight up saying, "Hey guys, do I play Tron or do I play Post?" I think it's like you have to play Post. Yeah. As much as I wish that wasn't the case, and that's not even because I hate Post. I just like to see new decks. But um, Tron Tron is effective at generating mana, and it's effective at being able to ramp and put out huge fatties fairly quickly because of that. It's just not as good as Cloud Post for yeah, that. Yeah, that and with your Tron, you're forced to use a lot more land search, give up a lot more spaces in your deck to land search to get that, or get that, those specific lands to make it work. Where you can <laughs> just play your map and call it good. Play, play the... Uh, expedition play, map? Yeah, play Expedition map and you're good. No problems. Does it have any advantages over Cloud Post? I think that yes, it does because um, you're. I think you're a little bit freer to, I guess, dink around with the colors you choose to do that. You couldn't necessarily do a very effective, you know, Orzov Post deck. Maybe, maybe not. Um, whereas with Tron, I think that there's always a chance you could try some new stuff and. I think that the other part of that problem with the fact that post is so established into what it is, it's just like you end up in blue-red or green or mono-blue. Just because those are the ones that make the most use out of... What the Cloudpost engine does. Yeah, what it has to offer. And I think Tron, you know, if you if you tried to look at a, a way to do it not as just a replacement for for posts, but as its own thing, which you guys, um, Dom and, and Sly the Tove, are, are uh, experimenting with. I think that that is that's definitely the way to go about it. But if you're just like I said, if you're a person who says, hmm, "Do I play post or do I play Tron?" 
you you probably unless you absolutely hate post if you're looking at it from strictly card advantage win percentage all those types of spiky ways you're going to have to play post uh, uh, so. keep us posted if you if you guys if they're if you guys are going to go on and really put some time and effort into this uh keep us posted on the progress because I, i'm interested in the progress yeah i mean it's uh, i'll post the link um Dom's deck with Golgari Tron right here. Um, I'll make sure I've got it up in the forums. I'll make sure I post that in the show notes. Um, because yeah, but I mean, you know me, I'm always down for new decks. <laughs> it doesn't and, hurt to see something new. Yeah, and before before Glimmer Post Tron, I think Tron was a bigger thing. It was before my time, but I seem to remember hearing having. Seeing it made mention of in articles a lot more frequently than it was. I think post once Glimmer Post got printed, I think it just kind of stole the show. Yeah. All right, you guys have anything else to add? Nope. Excellent. Popper to the people at gmail.com, facebook.com slash popper to the people, popper to the people dot proboards dot com. You can find each of us on MTGO. I'm Gray Cat Records. Nate is. And Yukon and Peter is Midnight Zero Three. We're also on Twitter. Nate's Nathan Yunkin. I'm at CM Plumber. And yes. I think that's all of it. I think that's all of it, you guys. No, that's about it. Cool. Well, until next week, my name's Chris. This is Nate. And this is Peter. And this is Popular the People. Yep. It mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Popular the